Welcome to another recorded sermon provided by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. This study will be based on a passage in Matthew chapter 23. We highly recommend that you have your Bible open to that place. Maybe you can pause the recording here, open your Bible, Matthew chapter 23, and then be ready to continue. As you read the true story of the life of Christ, and you study passages in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it happens that the more you love and appreciate Christ, the more you see the sin of his enemies. The men who put Jesus to death were not just passive unbelievers. They were not just people who were indifferent. They were ruthless, violent, and rebellious against truth, and therefore against him, and therefore against the Father. And Jesus saw that and knew that with perfect clarity. There came a time for Jesus to directly rebuke these men, identifying their sin with such intensity. They stood condemned and exposed to any in the audience with any perception and conscience. We have a record of what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 23. I want to read now the first 24 verses in Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach and do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them, on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing, But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. 
you blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. I want you to imagine visiting the zoo over in Brownsville or wherever in your local area, and you approach the place where the camels are, and you see a big sign that says, don't eat the camels. We see the humor in that idea. We cannot visualize anyone eating a camel, even if we were to find a recipe for stuffed camel. It is strange and funny, but when we come to Matthew 23, all humor is put aside. When we read verse 24, this is what Jesus said to these men about these men. They strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. I want to talk to you about what that means, and there will be good applications for us in this study. We do not want to be like in any way the scribes and Pharisees who crucified Christ. So the more we learn about these men and what the Lord said about them, the better equipped we are to avoid their bad behavior and to maintain and make progress in righteous and reverent conduct before God. First, I want to tell you, these men were the religious leaders in and around Jerusalem. Now, that may strike you as odd when you picture in your mind the kind of conduct that you would expect, ideally, of spiritual leaders. You think of men who are upright, honest, holy, and who have the welfare of the people well in mind. You think of what Paul wrote about evangelists and elders and deacons. You may think of the conduct of the inspired prophets of God. I'm glad we have an idealistic high view of religious leaders. But these men, the scribes and Pharisees, were hypocrites. Jesus called them hypocrites, and he proved his charge by giving an outline of their evil thoughts and behavior. They would demand that people be obedient to the law of Moses, but they would find ways to break that law they taught. And what was really important to these men was not the authoritative law of God, but the powerful human empire they built. They came up with their own set of rules. They wrote religious law and imposed upon the people all sorts of requirements not given by God. They were demagogues. They were arrogant. They were not really concerned about the people. Jesus says they laid burdens on people. They coveted the applause of men. They were the blind leading the blind. Now, part of their frame of mind and religious practice was to take 
various parts of the law of Moses, expand on it, and enforce their expansion or their interpretation with greater zeal than the law itself. For example, the Sabbath. They took what the Old Testament said about the Sabbath and added page after page of detail, then enforced the details with greater zeal than what the Word actually said. Tithing, which was required as a part of the law of Moses, was expanded by the Pharisees to include detailed rules God never gave. They wrote laws beyond what God said. They enforced their law as greater than God's law. Hypocrites. So these blind guides would be very careful to strain water so they wouldn't swallow an unclean, unseen gnat, yet they would turn around and swallow a camel whole. That's a word picture. I don't believe they would literally swallow camels, but Jesus wanted to use words to draw a picture of how hypocritical these men were. They were men of extraordinary contradiction. Their doctrine was, we must not eat a gnat, even unseen or accidentally. I've often wondered if they sold gnat strainers for a profit. They said, we must not even accidentally swallow an insect, yet while enforcing that, while laying that burden on the shoulders of people, they would gulp down a camel. That's the picture. That's the picture Jesus paints for them, for the people following them, for his disciples, and for us. So here's what I need to do. Once I understand this level of hypocrisy, I need to use God's word to build within me such a spirit I never become figuratively a camel swallower. Just think how bad it would be to become like the men who crucified Christ. I want to move in the other direction. I want to be a disciple of Christ, loving him and obeying him. I want him to live in me as I uphold him and try to lead others to him. So let me offer, let me offer a four-point focus to take us away from camel swallowing. Number one, let us be certain we maintain a healthy respect for the authority and sufficiency of the Scriptures. At the very beginning of my exposure to the Bible, I was taught consistently that at the foundation of all responses to God, there is this conviction. God's Word is authoritative. And God's Word is sufficient, meaning it is all we need as our guide. I believe that not just because of early instruction, but because I've come to that conclusion myself in my reading and study of the Scriptures. God's Word is authoritative, and God's Word is sufficient. Sometimes I express it like this. We don't need anything other than God's Word to guide us. We don't need God's Word plus the encyclicals of the Pope. We don't need God's Word plus the denominational creeds and manuals. We don't need God's Word plus 
what was written by cult leaders. God's word has authority in and of itself. And if that is true, it is all we need. It is sufficient. In the New Testament, there are many passages that lead us to this conclusion. This is, according to Jude, this book, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Paul said in Ephesians 3, when you read what is revealed through the apostles, you have what you need to understand all about Christ and your response to him. In Acts 2, 42, Christians are to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In 2 John 9, abide in the doctrine. One root problem with the scribes and Pharisees was they did not respect the authority and sufficiency of God's written word that they had, the scriptures they had. To avoid that kind of arrogance and apostasy, let us make certain we respect God's word that we have and never entertain any idea that we need to supplement it. Number two, we must be resolved to never assume that because something is pleasing to us, it must be pleasing to God. People often make this mistake thinking that if they like it, God must like it. And there is a whole series of reasonings that take people in this ill-advised direction. God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be united. So let's come up with what we like and agree on and surely God will be happy with that. No, that's wrong. Because it begins with us instead of God. We must always begin with what God has said he wants. Doing what God says is what should make us happy and united. Never assume that because you like something, God must like it. 1 Corinthians one twenty-five says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 tells us the Lord's ways and thoughts are far superior and higher than the thoughts of men. To avoid swallowing a camel, we need to be certain and clear about this. What pleases us does not necessarily please God. Number three, let us check our motives. The Pharisees were a people who were wrong at the motive level. They wanted to be praised. They wanted power. They wanted to control people. They had it wrong in their hearts at the motive level. So to avoid the hypocrisy of these men, I need to use the word of God to constantly monitor my motives. Why do I think the things I think? Why do I do the things I do? Religious character cannot be built and maintained unless you use the word to monitor your motives and keep them pure. Righteous character cannot be built and maintained unless you use the word to monitor your motives and keep them pure. 1 John 5, 2 speaks to us of loving God and keeping his commandments. That's the motive combined with the action. Moved to obey God because we love him. 
and we love him because he first loved us. It is never a waste of time to use the word of God to sit down and monitor your motives and check them. Sometimes good deeds are done, but with wrong motivation, only by our use of God's word to form our character and guide us can we discern worthy and unworthy motivation. Number four, let us be people who invite accountability. Let us be people who invite accountability. I remember preachers used to say something like this. It is our purpose to do what the Bible says we must do without addition or subtraction. Should you be aware of something we are engaged in that is not authorized by Scripture or something that is taught that we are not doing, you would be considered our friend to call that to our attention. We will study with you, and if Scripture demands it, we will change. I'm afraid sometimes we've gotten away from that. Maybe we should say that more. Maybe I should say that more. I should. We need to communicate to people that we are not infallible, and we should be of a disposition to invite accountability. The scribes and Pharisees not only did not invite accountability, they demanded that the people be accountable to them. It was and is a part of the camel-swallowing syndrome that we must carefully avoid. To think of yourself so highly that you are beyond accountability. Every one of us should be willing to submit to challenges to show that what we believe and teach and practice is found in the Word of God. Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Well, one of the most unflattering pictures of people in all the Bible is this portrait of the scribes and Pharisees given by Jesus in Matthew 23. Very simply, if someone is trying to seize and kill Jesus, the moral blame is obvious before you discover the details of their behavior. But in the details of their behavior, there are aspects of sin and selfishness and rebellion presented clearly in Scripture for our study, able to lead us away from hypocrisy and giving us great interest in righteousness from the inside out. These men made up their own rules and became so obsessed with their rules and so negligent about God's rules They would strain out the gnats to make sure they were right about that and then turn around and swallow a camel. All mixed up about what is important, no mature perspective about God's authority and an elevated sense of their importance, coveting power over people. I repeat, in the details of their behavior given by Christ, we are able to see exactly the kind of thinking and conduct we must study to avoid consistently. These are the men who killed Jesus. May we be the ones who honor him, who affirm his authority, who obey him, and speak to others 
of his perfect power to save sinners. Let's be Christians. Thank you.